There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free this is holly fry from stuff you missed in history class the national sales event is on at your toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new suv like an adventure ready rav4 available with all-wheel drive your new rav4 is built for performance on any terrain or check out a stylish and comfortable highlander with seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with the whole family check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com toyota Let's go places. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, Have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. This time, a former Suns player who you might remember as T-Rex. More video in just a moment, but this is Rex Chapman's mugshot, and we are learning a lot more about the charges. I've read where you said you struggled with drugs from an early age. When did drugs enter your life? So the pills are too expensive, and so somebody turned me on to heroin, and I would do heroin, and then I would smoke meth to make sure I could level out. Once I took an opiate... You know, because I was taking them as prescribed, and then I started snorting them. And once I started snorting them, I was like, this is, this is it. Welcome to Charges. I'm your host, Rex Chapman. Mike Tyson once said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. But sometimes you never see what's about to hit you. For me, I never thought the hardest part of my career as a professional athlete would be fighting off an addiction to painkillers, opioids, and fighting to keep my relationships, my reputation, even my dignity, as the disease was attacking all aspects of my life. That fight was and is the hardest of my career as a professional basketball player, and I never fought anybody. But today's guest, he knows exactly what it's like to get punched in the mouth, and yet his fight and my fight are the same. And he knows all too well how much more pain can come from a pill than any punch ever thrown by a human. And that includes Mike Tyson. This is Charges. Charges.
Welcome to the show, my friend, Isaac Valley Flag. Welcome. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Man, I'm so excited. Uh, we just kind of got to, you know, a little bit of a Twitter relationship. And man, I, I've uh, followed your story on and off throughout the years. My son is a big MMA fan. And uh, I'm really happy for you and, and to see where you are today. Thanks, Ben. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a cool place to be, especially considering where I was about four years ago. You know what I mean? And I you, do. yeah, you do know. Yeah, you do know what I mean, right? Yeah, and it's baby steps, man. And uh, I was brushing up on some things today, and so much of it resonated. Let, well, let's start here. How the hell does somebody decide I want to be a professional fighter? Uh, you know, I kind of so I had a but another buddy who we were working in a bar and. Uh, it just kind of seemed like it was a, a fun thing to do. I kind of grew up doing, do, like getting into fights, street fights and stuff. <laughs> and uh, and somewhere along the line, uh, they told me I could do it and I wasn't going to get in trouble and uh, I might even get paid at some point. So that was, you know, that was like MMA's, the early days before it was like really as big as it was. The UFC was a thing, but it wasn't like a, a thing, like a force like it is now, you know? Right. So it was that that's kinda how old I were just, you? I was early twenties. So I gotta got into it late. Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the guys these days they start doing stuff because the sport's gotten so big. They start doing yeah. stuff at a at a real young age, you know, and it just wasn't the case when I was younger. I just kind of dug the the whole aspect of fighting, and then I, then I fell in love with like the the more spiritual side of the fighting game too, you know. Yeah, I was wondering about that. You know, I've heard heard some fighters talk about how it it really is more of an art form than about the violence or actual fighting. What do you view it as? So, uh, number one, I do love the violence of it. I mean, you know what I mean? But there's something really, uh, for lack of a better word, peaceful about being in there uh, uh, with another human being. And it's just, you know, as much as there is crowd noise and stuff, it's just you and them, like, essentially locked in together. And you're really paying attention to the breathing and, and everything. And you're very much in the moment, you know? And so there, there's, like, a real beauty to fighting. There really is, you know? And, and I think that... I mean, it is, look, it's violent. We're fighting each other. But right. at the same time, there's a lot of people who, who find a certain amount of, like, of um, of peace doing that, you know? And I think I'm I'm one of them. So. And it, isn't it, you know, I, I obviously didn't compete like this in a, a, a sport where you actually, you know, fight. We all talk about, well, we went to war last night and we've battled them. No, we didn't. Yeah, basketball. The players never fight. Let's get <laughs> no, that. Let's, no, no. Nor, nor can we. You no, know, you yeah, just, no. You got to fight glad, somebody for three seconds till they break you up. <laughs> right, right. Let's just get that out of the way right Let's now. Get so. it out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> no. So I'm wondering though, but you know, playing that sport, you know, there. No matter how hard you go at one another, there's a mutual respect, and I got to think that that's you know, some of it too, that piece of being in the ring with someone else, you know, is a professional and you guys are gonna, I mean, I would think, don't you sort of have a kinship, even though you're trying to kick that person's ass? So I got lucky. I got to fight guys who were like kind of my heroes. So, oh, I mean, wow. it was, it was kind of cool. Uh, like Eves Edwards and Takanori Gomi were, were, uh, th those are the guys who I really liked coming up and I got to fight them, you know? Uh, so it was, there is that kind of kinship, especially when you're doing, you're fighting somebody who you look up to, you know? Right. So. Right. Well, tell me about the training that somebody has to do to compete in MMA and not like jumping rope and push-ups, like what it's like to learn all the fighting styles, how to defend things, all that. 
Uh, so the learning part, I mean, that's the other part of it that's really cool is you are learning a, a craft, you know, uh, and, and it's intense uh, and it's fun. At my age, because I started so late, I kind of was behind the curve and I really, I pushed myself as hard as I could to try to, to try to catch up with these like young guys, like Cub Swanson is a really good friend of mine. And, uh, and he started young and he would come out here to Albuquerque and I always felt like I had to work harder than him because I didn't have the same amount of time in this that left in the sport or natural ability as him or anything like that. So I always pushed myself as hard as I could to try to get better at it, you know? Were you a were you an athlete growing up? Did you play sports? Did you um or you don't have to play sports to be an athlete, but did you have an athletic background growing up? No, I, I, you know, so I never had a dad, so I don't know, uh, you know, father in the house until like wow. later on. Um, yeah. and, and I just kind of had a hippie mom who wrote poetry. So I don't even know if I was, that's an athlete, awesome you know? though. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. awesome though. But finding out it's amazing to go through, you know, 20 years of your life. And then all of a sudden, you know, it had, I, I like the new sports, like in the Olympics every year. I enjoy that. I'm so thrilled to see, you know, it's a violent sport and I know you can, you only have a short window of time to do it, but I'm really excited for, you know, it, there to be another profession outside of just traditional boxing, which is, that's what it was when I was growing up. I remember in my hometown, they had something called, um, tough man competitions. And those were just bare knuckle kind of things until you, one person got knocked out. And, you know, it's just amazing to see where the sport and where mixed martial arts has gone over the last 30 years. I love watching the sport grow. I, I honestly think that uh, MMA, as much as MMA and boxing compete with each other as far as like for viewership and stuff, I mm -hmm. think they also push each other to get better. You know, uh, you're seeing people pick up stuff from other skill sets and, and other sports. And, and you're also seeing boxing now starting to get a revival of being a little bit more exciting than it was after after Mike Tyson and after the 80s boxers, you know. Uh, for a while, we weren't treated to any of the Hagler-Hearn stuff. It was just kind of boring, you know. So, and I think mixed martial arts kind of nipping at its, at its heels really forced it into a place where now it's gotten exciting again. I, I agree with that. Um, let's talk about the process of becoming a pro. Uh, what is that like? Who do you have to beat? Uh, or impress or better question how do you even get noticed because there's so many mma and ufc style gyms how does one go from just doing that to trying to make, make a living in the nba there's a pretty clear path you go to college you go to the nba how did you decipher all of that when i started off there you never had an amateur pro kind of deal you just you started fighting and then i got lucky enough to be in in one of the better gyms in the world in albuquerque and just did a certain amount of rounds with a, with all the really talented A level guys, and and then I beat some guys, and people took notice of me. You know, I got. I, I weren't really, you getting your ass kicked at first by some guys when you just didn't know what you're doing yet? Yeah, uh, you know that's kind of when I was coming up. I think for because we didn't know any better, you earned your lumps in the gym. I mean, you know, you really, you really did. And there was there was some real talent in our gym. You know, we had Cowboy Cerrone and Cub and 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 a bunch of guys. You know, and I would just get in front of them because I wanted time in front of the coach, and I knew that it would make me better talking to them and training with them. So that's just what I did. And and again, I was an older guy, so it's not like I had like this. 
I, I didn't ever have anybody looking out for me like these younger, talented guys did, you know? You got to remember, Cowboy's six, six years younger than me, and his career in the WEC and USC started way, like, long before mine did. I just thought it was a cool deal, and I wanted a spot, you know? You have to be a really good student, though. I, you know, I don't know how you did it growing up and when you were in school or everything, but it obviously appears that there's something with this sport that you found intriguing and you were able to pick it up, I mean, pretty damn quickly. And it takes a lot of studying, you know, and being engaged. As much as it was studying, just a bunch of hard work. I mean, I was always known as like, I would put in extra time. I would put in, you know, more time because I knew that I didn't have the advantage of having the talent that some of these guys did. And I knew where I was. So I just, I put in, I worked my ass off, you know. Fantastic. How do you describe the feeling being in the ring when your fight's about to start? Are you focused on your plan? Are you just trying to get quiet in your mind or are you amped and ready to ready to roll? I get so the minute I get in there, I get real quiet. I mean, like the up leading up to a fight, I'm super nervous and super. I mean, it's mm -hmm. a scary yeah. deal. You're yeah. you're literally about to go fight somebody and possibly get knocked out on TV or whatever they're you know, whatever you're looking at your home crowd or whatever. But then once you get in there, like I said, everything gets kind of quiet again. You know, I mean, really, like, it's just you and that other guy at that point. And you hear your, you hone in on your coaches and it's just really, uh, I'm just, you're there to do your thing kind of. And it's like what, what you worked hard for, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay. You're part of the UFC and you're in the mix. Tell me what it's like to be a part of, you know, one of these big cards and the whole process. Who's helping you figure out who to fight and, you know. Uh, what to do when fights fall apart. Uh, so I had good managers and good coaching luckily along the way. And, you know, uh, we'll get, when we get into the addiction stuff, we'll get in. My career didn't last very long in the UFC. I, I found pain pills law, uh, like almost immediately, you know, and you can see, uh, kind of my from my first fight to my second fight even that was like the downfall at wow. like the starting of the of the addiction you know because yeah uh i had done some you know i fought for another organization that the ufc owned called strike force and i beat a really a bigger name at the time and then uh and then i had my first fight in the ufc against a guy named eves edwards and then right after that i hurt my back and that was kind of like the you know i, I kind of messed around with stuff but that was like it you know yeah i mean it was just you know, that part of it was became more exciting than the, than the fight itself. You I know? get it. I get it. You know, I, I've said, I, I've read where you said you struggled with drugs from an early age. When did drugs enter your life? When I was like, I mean, drinking 12, 13, drinking wow. was always part of my family. So it was like, we were the, we were the family of like taking sips at the family reunions. You know what I mean? And they didn't mind. Parents didn't mind or no. adults didn't mind. Yeah. Get it. Yeah. It was just a, I mean, I think it was just different then, you know I mean? It was just what you did at family stuff, you know? Uh, so there was always that, but like on my own, like 12 or 13, real young, like, like I look at my daughter who's 15 now and I'm thinking, man, you are not even close to ready to, to have any any drinks and I'm like how right. the hell you know? I know I know Isaac is a great example of how things can go downhill quickly from drinking as a youngster at family functions to using at parties to letting it all affect his livelihood as an MMA fighter I for one know the dangers of opioids from my playing career and thereafter although basketball can be brutal to the body 
there is no comparison to what an MMA fighter is put through. In the ring and in the ranks, Isaac was ascending, but on the inside, his greatest battle was about to begin. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey guys, it's Ray from the Bobby Bone Show here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure ready RAV4. Let's go! Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the hills to the trails all over. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating, up to eight passengers, yeah. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out amazing national sales event deals on RAV4s, Highlanders, and more. Visit buyatoyota.com. That's buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. So... At what point did it go from alcohol to something else? So I had always struggled and kind of went in and out of, mm-hmm. of some sort of a program and like white knuckled stuff and, and things like that. Uh, but, you know, and I've always dabbled in drugs, but like the really hard opiate stuff wasn't until this last this last little stint that I had, you know, like in, in 2012, I started. Were you someone who partied, Isaac, or, uh, or someone who used uh, you know, to kind of sort of make things go away or to level out? 
uh, I started by being a partier. I mean, like I always, I always thought that that's how you, that's how you unwound. And I saw people yeah. who, who who could party, just party. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I'm sure just like you see people celebrate after a game, right? And you're like, yeah, I can do that. And I just, you know, so that's how it started. But then towards the end of it, it was just me getting high in my garage by myself, you know? So, and th- and that was just, there's nothing there except for masking something, some other yes. trauma that I'm trying to deal with, you know? Yeah. Towards the yeah. end, there was no more party left, you know? I mean, it's just, you know. I remember <laughs> getting, yeah, I remember getting in, you know, at first, everybody says it. it's, you know, at first drugs are fun and then it's fun with problems and then it's just problems after a while. Right. Like, let's talk about pain meds in gyms and locker rooms. Uh, no, I don't, not trying to get you to get anybody in trouble, but what, what was that like in the UFC and MMA world? So everybody, uh, again, you know, like you're dealing with a bunch of alpha males, uh, or alpha male mentality kind of stuff that it's like guys, if they were using, and I know a few guys who, who were, cause we, we talk about it now and they've had, they've addressed some issues, but you hid that stuff. Cause you didn't want anybody knowing that you had a weakness right. of some sort, you know? Uh, so, you know, I found my guy and, uh, and, but it's not so like this we is were a guy, all, your doctor was outside the gym. Yeah, outside the gym. And so I found a guy that wasn't going to relay stuff back to to anybody. Right. You know, I, right. I I think, you know, there was a couple guys, there's a few guys in the gym who knew I was doing stuff by the time it was too late. But I, I mean, I tried to keep it hidden the best that I could, you know? Right. I didn't, right. you know, I didn't think I knew how dangerous I, because I considered myself such a strong guy, um, I didn't think that I was going to have the same issues with, with opiates that everybody else did. You know what I mean? And I'm sure, sure you were the same way, right? I mean, you're, yep. you're a professional athlete. You've, you've gotten you yourself handle to whatever this, it is. Yeah. Right. You, right. You've gotten yourself this far, so I'm going to be able to handle this and I'll just stop after whatever, yep. you know? Yeah. You feel invincible. Like you're one of one, you know, you just yeah. can do anything. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's, yeah, you really do. And it's crazy how much, and and I think you're seeing a lot of guys, especially fighters now. You're seeing a lot of guys who are who are starting to get a, affected by that, um, mental health wise, and then addiction wise, and everything. I mean, it's a it's a big deal. You're taking a bunch of kids who didn't know anything, letting us get hit, or we we put ourselves in there, but we all get hit in the head a bunch, and then you put us in front of a camera, and things are bound to to get a little bit weird, you know. No no question about it. You know. I- I've said this before on the show, um, but I remember when I took OxyContin, you know, my brain immediately had a reaction that was like, oh, shit, I really like this. This is my this is my jam. Uh, You know, I want to feel this way all the time. That's immediately what I felt, which we know not everyone feels like that. You had something similar happen, though, right? Oh, yeah. That was like once I took an opiate. you know, cause I was taking them as prescribed and then I started snorting them. And once I started snorting them, I was like, this is, this is it. Like, this yeah. is like, wow. I never snorted them. I, I chewed them. I chewed them to try to get in. I've heard of the, you know, I got into rehab and heard of the snorting, but man, that's gotta be, oh my goodness. Look, man, like we wouldn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't one of the greatest feelings in the world. You know what I'm I mean? I'm with you. Yes. And, and it's, uh, it's one of those things that just eventually 
kicked the shit out of me. But I mean, like, I loved it, man. I really, until I didn't, I loved it, you know? Same. You know, I, for me, I, I, the, the initial, I was always kind of a little, uh, socially awkward around people I didn't know. And, you know, being in sports, people would come up all the time and, you know, kind of say hi and introduce themselves. And I'd always felt really just awkward about it. The second that I took the Oxycontin, it was like my guard went down. I felt more at ease in my own mind. I felt more, I felt funnier and smarter and, you know, everything. Um, and before you know it, it's, you know, it's not that way. And you're chasing one pill and the next pill, you know, you get to the point. It's you're not deciding when to take it anymore. It's telling you when you need it. It's telling you when it's time, like either physically or, or, you know, I mean, like the same thing that most of us who are addicted really kind of have is that like we got something different in our brain that's telling us when it's time. It's not just the physical stuff, you know, it's like really like something clicks in my head that it's like, man, it's time to, to get high still, you know? So at one point, you know, I'm sure it was, they were prescribed to you for legitimate, you know, pain, like you said, back pain. Um, how long, and because there's something that goes on with our minds, how long did you take opioids thinking and truly believing I am only taking this for my physical pain until you realized you were, you know, you're actually just taking it cause you're addicted and you like the way it makes you feel. I think there was a certain amount of that throughout the whole time. Like I had to, I had to, right. you know, like Gosh. my addict brain even. So even when I started, so I went from pills to heroin. And uh, even when I started using the heroin, I'm like, well, I really hurt. You know, I mean, like there's a real, you know, and and that's bullshit. I mean, it, it really is bullshit. Like I, I deal with my pain now with, and I'm fine, you know, and, uh, and I, I know guys who have my friend Cub, I'll keep using him. He had his whole face broken and he doesn't take opiates. Right. And, but so there was this lie in the back of my head the whole time that was like, man, you, you really need this. You know, I mean, there's that denial thing that you need in order to keep everything kind of running, you know? That's right. Well, you know, on charges, we talk about, you know, the ugly part and we'll get back into the good part, but let's get into it. You're, so you're out of the UFC and you're struggling with drugs. Um, how do you end up in a car with guns and drugs and being charged with robbery. Unlucky, attempted I guess. Attempted robbery. Yeah, attempted. I, I guess I'm just unlucky. You know, it's so, it really was, I mean, it was like, I've always, so I've always done stuff like I shot with some of the police officers over here uh, and I've been part of like a, a good community. So all this stuff that I was doing, I mean, I, I even when I was getting high, I was still shooting with like some people that I knew who were, federal agents and stuff. Right. So I always pictured myself as a law pretty abiding. good guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, law yeah. abiding citizen who just liked to tinker with guns. And it, you know, I knew I was doing a lot of stuff that to feed my addiction as far as stealing goes, um, that I still was justifying for whatever reason, because it was, I, I'm you know, with you, man. I know it's hard to talk about and, and but I feel your pain right now because People ask me all the time, they were like, but you, you stole some stuff and, and, and it's, it's painful, right? It's painful to reconcile that you, we were doing this, right? Well, it's, it's that whole thing of like, I mean, 
we are at the end of the day, we're what somebody would consider a junkie, but it's mm-hmm. like sitting here talking to you. It's hard to imagine either one of us being, you, you know, you have this idea in your head of what a junkie looks like, you know what I mean? And it's not, it's not somebody who performed at a high level in basketball or fighting. A junkie is somebody who you see panhandling, you know, yeah. uh, living in the so, street. And I was actually there, you know, not right. literally, but pretty close to it there for a while. And so was I. The thing that saved my ass is that I have a I have a wife, God, who's like a godsend, who really like if it wasn't for her, I'd be homeless, you know, and, and who I lied to good enough to let me stay in the house. I mean, that's that's. My big thing is I did a lot of stuff to feed my addiction. That's not great, and I'm not proud of it. But the things that I'm really not proud of is is the way that I treated my family and and friends. You know, I burned a lot of bridges with people who I love greatly, uh, trying to either being super toxic or like trying to feed the addiction and and needing to lie about it to everybody. Right. You know, yeah. so like this, I can talk about the I got good war stories about stealing and that kind of. I'll laugh about that. And it's not a funny thing, but I can laugh about that. The thing that really hurts is like the stuff that I did to my family and friends in, yeah. in the name of, in the name of like continuing to run, you know? Yeah. I said, uh, so one of the guns had a silencer. What was going on there? <laughs> so I was building silencers and, and again, so the, this was the, like the mania of the drugs. I'm like, that's just normal to me. Right. I'm sitting in my, you know, your, your brain really starts to tell you this shit's that yeah, everything that you're, that you're doing you're okay. is normal. That yeah. was the thing about Oxycontin for me. And I think that that was the other thing about it was that I realized it was like every good thought I had kind of hung around and all that. Every bad thought was real fleeting. And I, it almost made me think, it, I've said it before, it, it was almost like it was the, it'll be all right drug. Cause that's what it remind. It just tells you, ah, it'll be all right. Okay. Yeah. Those bills came. Ah, it'll be all right. Yeah. And right. You, right. Yeah. And I'll deal with that later, you know, and, and, and that only goes so far before you, before you end up in some serious shit, you know, I, so the, your thing was, uh, didn't you get caught stealing like yes. iPods or something? Yeah. yeah. At, at an Apple store. Yes. Which, which to me again, so my thing, I got caught stealing, uh, I was stealing copper and stuff from, from a few wow. places, you know, yeah. right like, from so, building sites and stuff. Yeah. From, yeah. from stuff like that. And, and so I'm sitting here looking at us. I'm like, man, that's like, I watch people run out of Apple and people steal copper all the time. I'm like, those guys are junkies. I'm like, oh, wait, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> fucking that's shit. Right. That's right. Yeah. Man. You know? Going from a blossoming MMA career to being arrested for stealing copper from construction sites is a severe fall from grace. To make matters worse for Isaac, opioids weren't the only drug of choice that had entered his world. Sometimes when charges hit, they come at the right time to save a life. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. 
Hey guys, it's Steve Cavino from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck... You buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Oh, it's such a clutch pickup, Dave. <laughs> I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for 40% off site-wide and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for 40% off site-wide at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. What was your lowest point, Isaac, and whatever happened with those charges? So the charges, luckily, uh, I got a uh, pre-prosecution deferral, uh, and I went to treatment, and I had a great lawyer, obviously, and uh, and those charges, I did a, a good amount of uh, community service and stuff, and they got dismissed because I was looking at some serious time, you know? Right, yeah. Um, and, you know, I wish that I could say that was even my lowest point, but, it, you know, I kept, I got, I went to jail and got out and I went to treatment once and uh, then I kept getting high. Uh, and I think the lowest point. And this point, was her again, heroin at this point because you really, and meth. The, the pills are too expensive at a certain point, right? Yeah. So, so the pills are too expensive. And so somebody turned me on to heroin and I would do heroin and then I would smoke meth to make sure I could level out. So meth, see, that's a whole other thing. I'm, I'm sorry to begin with, because, you know, sitting in rehab, um, a lot of people that go down that road and heroin as well. But once people go down the meth road, you know, it's very hard to recover. And man, I'm really proud of what you're doing. Well, so all, both of us, I mean, like, you know this uh, our chances as as recovering opiate addicts are not good you know uh and you throw meth on top of that and it's even worse but it it really is the kind of thing that like uh uh 
as long as I'm diligent about some stuff, you know, I, I'm in a, in a recovery program. And as long as I'm diligent about the stuff that I do, uh, then I stay good. Right. And so it really, you know, I know our chances aren't good and I know as a meth and heroin addict, they're not good. So I get, I stay extra vigilant about that. You know, I like I do, I I'm of service and I have people. Yeah, and I, I have people that I work with, and I talk to people on a daily basis, and and all the stuff that we're told to do, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm curious. I know what opioids feel like. I don't know what heroin feels like. I can only imagine because I know what oxy feels like. Um, what does meth do to your brain? You said you were doing the heroin, and then you do the the meth later. Is it just a different? Is meth more of a stimulant? I guess it is. Yeah, it's it's a stimulant, but uh, I mean, really. So, I had this whole life that I had to keep lying about so that I could mm-hmm. keep a family and so that I could keep appearances up. So I couldn't go too far down and I couldn't go too far up. So I was just using those to kind of to level to not out. feel any, yeah level out, yeah. not feel anything, you know. Uh, and I don't realize until I look back at stuff, until I look at back at the way I have interacted with people, I don't realize how crazy my brain was with the drugs. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I look at the thoughts that I have and I'm like, dude, this is like, I'm like, how the fuck did I even, how did even anybody even buy that? I wasn't like just losing my fucking mind, you know? I'm with you. Cause I, I, I drove around in, in Phoenix for years without a driver's license. You know, and was pulled over all the time. I would get, um, you know, I would get uh, arrested here and there and for not having a license and just idiotic, idiotic yeah. thinking, you know? Yeah, um, and stuff that seemed normal, right? Yeah. What, I mean, what, what was your low point? You've been clean now for a couple years, right? Yeah, for uh, it'll be four in February. So, oh, let's go. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Really, Congrats, man. Thank you. It's uh But what caused that? What was that point for you that you just went, "Okay, I can't do it anymore." I don't even know. It was just it was I mean, it was kind of looking at the shame in my wife's eyes, you know, yeah. uh and I man, I wish I had a really cool story about it, but I was just beat down, man. And it was like I was just beat to the point where I didn't I didn't have any answers. I knew I couldn't keep getting high and and I was like, "Man, I don't know if I can stop getting high, but I yeah. knew I couldn't and like, you know, and so I just I was completely just defeated and I, there was really nothing. Just I broken. remember just broken in it, yeah. you know. It really I mean, and you know this there's this demoralization, the arrests are bad, everything like that else is bad, but like for whatever reason, we have that moment of clarity that we're just like, man, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And it, and, yeah. it, and it was that man. Like, I remember my, my wife, uh, I had to explain to her what keeping me well for the weekend till I got into treatment was. And my mm. wife is a straight laced, Straight, straight yeah. lace. She works for the DOD, has a okay. clearance, kind of a, you know, we, we, I almost messed that up, but that's who she is. And uh, I, having to explain to her what keeping me well till I could get in a treatment look like, and then having her drop me off on the edge of what we call the war zone here so yeah. I could go pick up dope, you know, and, and borrowing money from her at the end so I could go get high until until I could get in the treatment, you know, and that's that's what it was. It wasn't any, 
it wasn't any one thing because I can sit in a jail cell. I know how to do that. You know, I know how to hustle. It was really just the feeling of just absolute and utter disgust with myself with what I had become kind of, you know, same, very much the same. I, I remember also, um, you know, getting into treatment and of course the detox just being awful. But I remember the first day I got in there, this was seven years ago and I got in there and, you know, I had not kept my drug problems a mystery to my friends. Everyone knew, you know, that I'd had my issues. It hadn't been public, though. And at this point, it had been public. You know, I was arrested and now I'm going into treatment within a couple of weeks. And I remember getting into, and this is before detox, but I remember getting into my room there. And, you know, there's no TV, there's no nothing. It's like a little dorm room. And I just remember this moment of sitting on the bed, nobody else was in the room. And I just went, and I exhaled and I was like, okay, after years of this, I feel like I'm in the right spot. I don't, everybody knows that, you know, I've got issues and now I got to try to dig out of it. But there was that moment for me. Was there one for you kind of like that? Yeah, I mean, there was honestly, so that moment happened. <laughs> that moment happened when I went to jail after, when I got arrested because I was like, cool, I can stop running, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and like, I can quit lying to my wife and, and everybody else about what's going on. I, I knew things, not like I was happy about it, but the same thing. It was just the kind of the, uh, the okay, we're, we're kind we're, of a relief. Yeah. Yeah, you a know? relief of like, I, I can stop now, you know? Right. Right. And I didn't, but you know. Yeah, I get it. I get it. So how how does life start turning around for you though? Once you got into treatment um to where you are now. How how did how did uh, it start turning around? I made a promise to myself that I was going to do whatever anybody asked of me that had to do with recovery, you know, and I and again like I I approached it like I did my fighting. I was going to be very vigilant about and be regimented. If you asked me to do something, I did it, you know, and and uh and there was times when I hated it. But I remembered what I told myself that I was going to, you know, and that really that has served me even to this day of like, I know as long as I keep doing the next right thing, uh, that whatever this higher power thing is going to keep taking care of me. You know what I mean? And that really is like every time that I get stressed out or, or frustrated, I remember what I had told myself and what I've told other people I work with and that. Just keep doing the next right thing and that we're going to stay vigilant about this stuff. And every time that I focused on my recovery, life has just gotten better. You know, it hasn't it hasn't been exactly what I wanted. Right. Uh, you know, like I, I tried fighting for a while afterwards and I was like, this is going to be my big comeback and to, into fighting. And that didn't work out. So I was like, shit. But, but I see, just kept being doing... able to do that. Yeah. Be, being able to take that, you know, because, hey, man, we can say what we want when your career is over. And you've spent years doing that. You're going to mourn that. You're going to mourn that being over. And being able to do that and not dip back into drugs, that's big time, man. So well done. It is, but I, I'm I'm of the mindset of we guys like you and me, based on the amount of like wreckage and pain that we have in our life, we have no good excuse to get high anymore, you know? Uh, so, so yeah. It, you mourn it, but like there's a lot of people who mourn real death without getting high. Uh, and, and that's the whole design for living thing that we've kind of committed to. Um, 
that's really kind of what I've committed to. And, and it's like realizing that we don't have we don't have that excuse. It's not there's no good reason for us to do any that's of right. that anymore. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, you know, you've talked about how hard it is to struggle with addiction, but how much harder uh, we make it as a society for people with this disease. Um, you know, what can we do better? Uh, education, always education. You know that, uh, I have a good friend who runs, uh, a treatment center and runs a sober living place. Uh, he's a clinical, he's a head clinician there. And, uh, you know, the more that we educate people about the stigma around it, you know, I mean, it's still like mental health and addiction are still like, really frowned upon people still think of this as a, as a weakness that you and I have. And yep. I'm like, man, I'm a pretty strong fucking dude. You know, I'll take a beating and I'll keep going. But when it comes to this one thing, whether it's or for me, several things, my anxiety, my depression, my addiction, you know, I got no answers for it. And that to, that to me is not a weakness. That's just like, that's something that there's an illness in my, in my head, you know, I mean, and, and I think it's good that, people are starting to know more and more about the disease of addiction. Yeah, and, but man, and, uh, you just put that beautifully. I mean, and it's emotional growth to know that, hey, look, this is why we were doing it all the, these years. And that that's a good feeling, right? For years, I, did, I didn't know why I was doing things and what was wrong with me. And, you know, finally I, I went, well, a lot of people struggle with mental illness. And, you know, I'm one of those people. So once I could put my arms around it, you know, it felt much better. It does. And especially, you know, I've always had a, these anxiety and depression issues, but I've never, I've never really, it's just been a thing, but now like I can recognize it and deal with it appropriately. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh shit, that's how you do that. You know, like I don't have to get high over that to like mask, whatever, whatever it is at this Whatever's point. Whatever's bothering you. I know. I know. It's so crazy. It's an absolute mind fuck. It, it really is. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, you know, when, when you look at all your opponents in the ring, how does the fight against addiction stand up? So again, it's almost like I'm never going to, if I'm fighting somebody, I'm never going to stop fighting until I'm, until I am separated from consciousness or, or asleep from getting choked. The biggest thing with this was like, you know, it's a corny hokey thing that you hear in, in like some of the programs, but like I really surrendered and then I quit fighting. And that was, wow. that was, that made it easy. So is it a fight? Uh, it's not a fight. Like I don't, I don't wake up anymore going, fuck, I want to get high, but I'm not going to do it today. You know, I wake up every morning and I really do kind of count my blessings and see what I'm grateful for. And the work that I have to do for, to stay sober is like minuscule compared to, to what I had to do to get high and to, and to maintain that lifestyle. So I don't think it's a fight. I really, I don't, I don't view it as a fight, you know? That's great. That's great. What does a day in your life look like these days in Albuquerque? Oh, I'm super boring, man. I get up and do roofing and then uh, come home and see the family, hit a meeting, okay. you know. Okay, good. It's, yeah. You know, the meetings, that that's interesting, too. You know, I, I did a ton of meetings. And, um, you know, you, getting clean and sober is different for everybody. Uh, the one thing that I learned most about those meetings, though, was it's camaraderie. And it's being able to be with other people and who, you know, nobody's putting on any airs. Everyone's a bit fucked up in here. And, you know, you can kind of share in that and in other people's stories. And, you know, um, 
think what you ever, you know, you said some of it's corny, whatever, but it's fucking important. It is important. And, you know, a lot of that, there's, they're starting to look at stuff as like, you know, isolation as being a really big deal for, yes. for addicts, you know, and I'm a big fan of like, whatever way you find your recovery mm-hmm. is great for me. As long as it's, as long as it's working, I found it a, a particular way and I stick with that, you know? Uh, and my big thing is not isolating myself from people, you know? I mean, this, d- the disease kind of wants us dead and wants us alone for, to, for that to happen. And they're starting to go more and more. They're starting to see how, just like you said, that camaraderie stuff is really plays into, uh, plays into the real recovery. You know. So now I'm going to give you my uh, my credentials, uh, my stats from my playing days. I was about six four, one eighty five, one ninety six six or seven wingspan. Uh, I come walking into the gym. How are you training me? And do I have any sort of shot? Uh, you're going to, we're going to use your length, obviously. So okay. yeah. And we're going to keep you away from people and, and make sure you and I are different fighters. I'm a short little fire plug and I like to get hit, but I don't want you, I do not want you getting hit. So we're going to learn how to use your jab and your, and your kicks and stuff and keep you a distance till you can hurt somebody. But, Man. uh, I did a few, we did a few boxing sort of workouts, uh, or I, I've done some in my life and we did some with certain teams. I mean, one thing we did, a basketball drill, we just ran around the court with our arms up like this for three minutes thinking, you know, that's not too bad. You get to about a minute and you, and you guys got to be up like this all the time. People don't understand the endurance and the strength and the uh, the mental fortitude. It's a lot, man. It's like, like getting to any, I consider the UFC a high level. I never got to the heights of the UFC that I think I should have, but like, once you're there, like you, you've developed a work ethic and a, and a mental fortitude that, that, uh, is crazy, man. And like, and perf- any, any sport, like at a pro level, even if you are riding a bench, you are no a bad dude, you know what no I mean? No question about it. Yeah. You put your time in a lot of practice, a lot of muscle memory, and you can't fake that stuff. You know. No, so that's always what's amusing to me. Uh, sorry, I'm going to mention your your no. social media stuff here a do little it. bit because I love do it. it. So, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, well, I I do it. It's cool to see you use your platform the way you do. Um, I you know I'm a fairly left leaning guy mm-hmm. uh, as you are, and it's it's good to see guys like you and uh, what's his face David Bautista and guys like that really kind of uh, putting it out there. And I mean, you guys do have you guys are. Like he has a whole fan base that probably believes that that Trump still won, right? But he's not afraid <laughs> right. to at, th- at this point he does it, but he's not afraid to lose that popularity because right. he knows what it what it means for real, you know? Yeah, he picks uh, his spots so, to to be to be real and honest. Yeah. I yeah. I appreciate that too. And it's cool to see guys like you who have like who really have that using it for what it what it should be used for, man, you know? I wish I had the balls that you have most of the time, yeah. Well, let's leave on this. Uh, the fight for sobriety and the journey you've had and been on. What do you want to tell others out there who are struggling, Ike? My man, don't be afraid to open up about it. If you're struggling, talk to somebody. And and like I, I don't give that lip service. There's other guys on on Twitter who I talk to who I know personally. 
I answer messages when somebody says they're fucking hurting. I mean, like, I really, I don't give that lip service because it is like there needs to be somebody to listen and there needs to be somebody to listen when somebody really needs to reach out. So reach out and fucking find some and be, if you can be of service and be the person to listen, do that, you know? I mean, you never know what you're going to affect, so... And and you never know what another person's going through. And yes. sometimes it just takes a an ear, yeah. you know, to help help them get through their day. Yep. Right? There's a lot like I said, there's a lot of strong people who have run their fucking cars into walls because they've never just opened up, you know? And that's that's a that's the truth. Isaac, man, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Um, I think the world of you and much continued success. My door's always open to you, brother. Thank you, man. Same. I appreciate it. This was this was a good time. And it's nice to actually finally talk to you and not just see a blocker charge, you know? Same here. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. Charges. Sharing our run-ins with the law. Charges. Athletes, entertainers, and ballers. Charges. Every celebrity ain't flawless. Charges. We came a long way from living lawless. Charges. Sharing our run-ins with the law. Charges. Athletes, entertainers, and ballers. Charges. Every celebrity ain't flawless. Charges. We came a long way from living lawless. Charges. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you.